Hello all and welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown, your weekly look at the IT news of the week. I'm your host, Rich Straffolino, editor with Gestalt IT. Thanks for joining us. We'll make it a good one. Joining me from across this great nation of ours in where the wind comes sweeping down the plane. I'm sure he's never heard that before. Ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only, Tom Hollingsworth. Tom, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Rich. I am enjoying a fine national cheese ball day today. Mm, oh, excellent. I feel like that should also be National Cracker Day as well. Uh, you you kind of need one to enjoy the other, right? You would think so. <laughs> well, let's get it started, uh, Tom. We have, like I said, jam-packed week full of news. We're going to get started. We, have, we can't cover in-depth discussion all of these topics, so we're going to do something we like to call news or not. I'm going to need just a one or two sentence rebuttal on each of these stories. Let me know, is this newsworthy? Is this just so-so? First one up, out of the gate, Google announced that Gmail has become the first major email provider to integrate MTA, STS, and TLS reporting security standards. Extensions for SMTP uh, designed to thwart man-in-the-middle attacks. The MTA STS standards let you set policy to uh, to require valid encryption, refusing any messages without it. And TLS reporting allows email servers to request reports from external servers about the success or failure of messages sent uh, from that uh, email domain. So basically, if you have both of these enabled, theoretically, a man in the middle attack, much harder. Uh, first of the big webmail providers to implement these, news or not, Tom? Nah, this is basically just implementing TLS 1.3 uh, man in the middle features with some policy. So, uh, no, not really a big deal. Notable that seemingly Google is credible in saying that Outlook and uh, and like Yahoo and other uh, mail providers haven't implemented this yet. Yeah, well, how many clients do you know they're going to be implementing it? It's <laughs> a good point, Tom. Uh, next up on News or Nah, uh, the, the previously announced auction of 5G spectrum in the U.S. has been set to begin December 10th for licenses in the 37, 39, and 47 gigahertz band. So. Some pretty high up bands. Spectrum in the 28 and 24 gigahertz bands were auctioned on March 14th. Dicing up the spectrum for 5G, news or not, Tom? Uh, news just because 5G is bandwidth hungry. And so we're seeing more allocation. The FCC is really getting behind this. So expect huge 5G rollouts pretty soon. All right, next up. Microsoft notified an unknown number of affected Outlook.com users on Friday that malicious actors could have viewed account information from January 1st to March 28th, 2019. The majority of users were informed that account email addresses, folder names, and subject lines of emails were all visible. But Motherboard reported that around 6% of affected accounts were advised that email content was also accessed, uh, which was reportedly used to reset iCloud accounts linked to stolen iPhones. So... Doesn't seem to be like a state-level attack there. The breach was caused by a compromised support agent's credentials. Help desk getting hacked, Tom. News or not? I feel like breaches are not news anymore. I mean, they should be. We should care. But, okay, it's, everything is an attack surface now. <laughs> I, I think notable, I, I don't know, even though I think the among security circles, right, email is not considered secure. The government has basically said we don't consider email to be secure. Still, the idea of a webmail provider losing or, or, or having your user account not just, I don't know, be able to access accounts and, and payment information, but literally the content of messages seems uh, maybe a little bit more serious, but it this is just a matter of course. Mm -hmm. 
All right, how about this one for you, Tom? Using publicly available park camera feeds, $60 worth of Amazon recognition face detection services, and published photos of people who work in the area, the New York Times was able to ID over 2,700 faces within nine, with nine hours of footage and was able to match real identities to the detected faces. Finding out we already live in the dystopia, Tom, news or not? News. News because it means that we're getting way better at facial recognition and the cloud is assisting it. Yeah, I, I think this is really an interesting story. One, this is, I mean, recognition has been out there for uh, not an inconsiderable amount of time, but to show that, th and this was not a very sophisticated operation by the New York Times. Right? They, were, they were, in some cases, manually matching faces, uh, detected faces to those photos. So any kind of automation on top of this would just make this that much more uh, insidious. And they were like notifying mm -hmm. people that, you know, they were going to be publishing them. So I can only imagine uh, with public feeds out there, what is possible? Yay, dystopia. <laughs> Speaking of a dystopia for Intel, Samsung announced that they have successfully developed a 5 nanometer process using extreme ultraviolet technology. It is very extreme. The new process should allow for 25% smaller and 20% more power efficient chips compared to the current 7 nanometer process, and the company has already announced plans to mass produce 6 nanometer chips in 2019. Samsung plans to commercialize the 5 nanometer process in 2020. Tinier chips, news or nah? News, smaller phones, better power efficiency. Um, it, it's the way of all things. Tom, your enthusiasm is infectious. Next up, Intel announced the acquisition of the FPGA maker Omnitech for an undisclosed amount. The company specializes in FPGAs for high-performance vision and artificial intelligence inferencing capabilities and comes with a suite of IP to match. Intel recently took the wraps off their new Agilex line of FPGAs after spending tens of billions of dollars buying Altera a few years back. Doubling down to this market, news or not, Tom? I think this is news. This is Intel's hedge against ARM taking over. They're going to develop FPGAs to give you better performance and uh, try to get people to kind of lock in on that platform. And I also think maybe uh, makes sense why Intel basically has given up on several times now, given up on trying to do anything with GPUs because clearly they're seeing this is going to be the next generation of that market. Mm hmm. All right, Tom, next up, HP is touting HP SureSense on its new laptops and workstations, which supposedly uses deep learning AI to detect zero-day threats without major impacts on system performance. Tom, either the possibility of this actually working or the audacity for HP to blow this much smoke, news or no? I don't think it's going to work, and you're literally selling AI on a laptop. Not going to buy it. There are companies out there doing machine learning already. I learned about a couple of them at RSA. Um, you can read some of the articles at gestaltit.com uh, to do malware detection. And HP wasn't on that list. Yeah, it, it almost seems like, again, unless they're adding in like physical hardware or something like that to to offload this kind of stuff. One, if it's not impacting system performance, it's probably not doing all that much. And what, I mean, what are they going to be trying to do? Brute force, you know, just randomly injecting code. It just it seems a little silly. Mm hmm. Speaking of silly, IBM reported their quarterly earnings showing the third consecutive quarter of year-on-year -year declines in revenue. The company pulled in $18.18 billion, so they're not going to the poorhouse quite yet, but they did meet analyst estimates. Across uh, business units, infrastructure and cloud revenue was down 7%. Cloud and cognitive software declined 1.5%, which I thought was really interesting. And systems revenue was down 11%, with the venerable mainframe revenue, pour some out, Tom, down 38%. Clearly, the Red Hat deal cannot close fast enough. Saggy IBM earnings, Tom. News or not? Yeah, it's not really news. We knew IBM was kind of going downhill anyway. This is not Tom Watson's IBM anymore, and it's really starting to show. 
All right, Tom, and I think this will just about close us out for news or not. The Pentagon announced that Microsoft and Amazon are the finalists for the $10 billion contract of the Joint Enterprise Defense Infrastructure, or JEDI, project. They had some fun with that one. The actual contract will be awarded sometime after mid-July. IBM and Oracle were eliminated as potential contractors as they did not meet the minimum requirements of being big giant cloud providers, I guess. An investigation into Deep UP, who had worked for Amazon, then went to work for the Pentagon on the Jedi Project, then kind of went back to Amazon, showed no adverse impact on the integrity of the acquisition process. The obvious names becoming finalists. News or not, Tom? News, this is not. Always two there are. <laughs> and I mean, this is just the setting the stage to let Amazon prepare to officially get this, right? There's, there's no chance they don't yeah. get this, right? I think it's more news that one of the people that we know in the community, Furrier, uh, dug up a little bit of this stuff and basically got blacklisted for it. So, um, yeah, I think this is uh, th th there's more to this, but this itself is not really news that the two biggest cloud providers in the world are the finalists for this project. For, a, for the biggest uh, government contract for this kind of stuff. Yeah, uh, not not too surprising there. That uh, I, And again, I, I, the controversy around this, if you haven't been following this contract, is that the Pentagon came out very early in this process and said, we're going to go with one provider instead of sourcing it from multiples. Oracle and IBM sued. Oracle was a little bit more um, uh, pissy in their <laughs> uh, lawsuit, I guess. Uh, but uh, yeah, it looks like Amazon's just going to run away with this. I'm going to formally request that pissy be added to the legal dictionary as an actual term the judge is required to say. Objection, Your Honor. Pissy. Uh, so, Tom, let's get into some news. Let's have a little bit more discussion here. Uh, the uh, Homeland Security Administration's Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, that's a mouthful, published an alert uh, warning about a bug in VPN apps. The alert cited apps made by Cisco, Palo Alto Networks, Pulse Secure, and F5 Networks, so some pretty big names there, that improperly store authentication tokens and session cookies on a user's computer. The tokens are generated to avoid users having to re-enter passwords. Basically, you authenticated once and it kind of lives there, but can be accessed via malware or basically stolen anytime something happens to the computer uh, and then be able to re uh, gain remote access. Palo Alto Networks admitted the flaw was found in its global uh, protect app and released a patch. Cisco and Pulse haven't released any patches. I don't think they've released any statements uh, that I've seen. And TechCrunch reports that F5 has known about the bug since 2013, but has advised users to use 2FA rather than patch it because I guess they wanted bad press later. Tom, how bad is this? It's bad if 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 the people who are writing the malware know that this is the thing that they can attack now and they can use it to create gateways into your system. I mean, props to Paolo for, for patching it as quickly as they did. Uh, I'm sure the other people are scrambling to get a patch now that this is public. Um, okay, F5 is right. 2FA is the way to go. But 2FA is not the solution to a software bug. A software bug solution is a patch. Yeah, I mean... I, I completely understand the impulse of wanting to move people over to, again, adding more layers of security. But, yeah, that doesn't – I don't think that excuses them at all, especially over five years. You think they could just have one engineer go, hey, just just fix this in you know a week or something like that. And let's, again, avoid this horrifically bad press. Presumably, uh, Cisco and Pulse are, have patches coming out there, right? I mean, this isn't Cisco's best interest. Yeah. But, I mean, is it alarming that the Department of Homeland Security has to come out and go, you guys, this is real bad? 
It, well, I think what we're going to start seeing now that that DHS and a lot of other places are starting to take more of a cybersecurity um, bent toward things is that you're going to start seeing the federal government kind of, you know, shame shaming companies because, well, let's face it, if your potential largest customer wants to shame you publicly for something that is not fixed, you're going to fix it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, the. Um... The incentives of shame uh, are an interesting one indeed. So, th th one of the more ominous aspects, though, of the uh, the DHS's you know kind of warning on this was basically saying these are the ones we know about. Um, this appears to be really common because all of these big giant providers are doing it. So presumably, you know, who knows if Citrix or someone else um, has a similar bug? Uh, hopefully, this again is a, is a warning to the larger industry. Mm -hmm. All right, Tom. I know you don't watch uh, the Game of Thrones. But we're going to be talking about Dragon Blood. Security researchers published a series of exploits that impact the recently launched WPA3 wireless security standard. You may have heard about it. Collectively, dubbed Dragon Blood. The most serious of the exploits use downgrade attacks on WPA3's password exchange systems to either use older insecure standards, weaker encryption, that kind of stuff. The extensible authentication protocol is also affected by these exploits, although at the time I was reading uh, the coverage of this, there weren't many details because they hadn't developed a patch for it yet. Wi-Fi Alliance announced that WPA3 security patches for Dragonblood are available. They just need to be rolled into firmware and then sent on to you. Tom, can you give a little more context into exactly what was behind these exploits? I, I just kind of gave the, the very brief cliff notes, but there were a series of exploits around this, right? Yeah, there were. And just for those of you who are wondering, well, how, how did they come up with this name? Uh, the key exchange that's used in WPA3 for that uh, password exchange is called Dragonfly. Mm -hmm. And so naturally, we got to add some blood to it somehow. So I actually, uh, I read the paper when it came out, and it was really math heavy. And believe it or not, the paper has actually been rewritten a couple of times since it was released. And I talked to my friend Scott Lester, who's one of the hosts of the uh, Contention Window podcast, and we kind of been noodling back and forth about this. We, we both realized that the math is way above our heads. Uh, but what it comes down to is uh, a lot of where these exploits are being actually um, targeted is in downgrade. So when a WPA3 client requests a WPA2 key exchange because it can't handle WPA3 capabilities, um, initially it was uh, it requested a downgrade, captured a few frames, uh, that included uh, SSID passwords and things like that. And then the AP actually shut down the exchange because it realized that something was wrong. But through that captured data, they were able to essentially, you know, run it through about $160 worth of Amazon compute resources and crack that, uh, that password. Uh, now what I'm starting to hear from some people inside the industry is that a lot of this is caused by the way that people have decided to implement WPA3 in their vendor-specific um, setups. And so the reason why we're starting to see patches rolling out or not rolling out in the case of companies like Cisco who say that they're not affected by this um, is mainly because we're not sure exactly where in the protocol it's being broken. But it sounds like this is going to be up to the individual manufacturers to fix. So I don't necessarily know that this is a weakness in WPA3 itself from the pristine ivory tower version of the protocol, <laughs> more in how did we make this work in reality? Yeah, that's uh, one that's, I guess, good that WPA3 isn't fundamentally flawed, right? But then, yeah, mm -hmm. this leaves us kind of in the messy middle of, okay, where did we break what? Luckily, most, well, WPA3 is new enough that, one, it's not all that widely deployed quite yet. And two, the people that are working with it are, you know, the largest of the large, your Cisco's, your Aruba's, that kind of stuff. Same kind yeah. of whatever. Um, and, and yes. 
one of the other things that I forgot to mention that that uh, Scott pointed out too as well is that one of the reasons why there's some insecurity in there as well is because uh, WPA3 is using a Diffie-Hellman key exchange um, to to make sure that those keys are uh, executed properly. And we've known for years that Diffie-Hellman has some problems with some specific key sets because they're easily guessed and not very complex. And that's not an WPA3 problem. That's a cryptography problem. And we've got to fix that across the board. So exploiting DH exchanges may sound exciting because you're cracking a brand new protocol, but it's basically, you know, it's like war games. You're hacking a backdoor that was installed 15 years ago. That's kind of not, you know, not impressive when you think about it. Yeah, it, it seems like. Yeah, I mean, obviously, with any kind of downgrade attack, it's just going back to, you know, sending you back to what you know uh, and being able to exploit it based on that. But, uh, yeah, I think Diffie Helmet should really stick to the mayonnaise business uh, and maybe get out of the cryptography. Next up, Tom, did you hear the trumpets uh, heralding a new era? Indeed, there has been patent peace in our time. At last, it is ours. Apple and Qualcomm have agreed to settle all ongoing lawsuits. If you haven't kept up with it, congratulations. You're a human being because there's been about, I believe, nine trillion uh, different lawsuits, counter lawsuits. Uh, at sometimes Apple isn't able to sell iPhones in certain markets as a result of it. Then Qualcomm can't sell modems. It's all complicated. And now it's over. Apple will pay Qualcomm an undisclosed amount and enter into a six-year global patent licensing agreement with an option to extend for another two years. Qualcomm will also supply parts to Apple for several years. Now, Tom, I, before you celebrate, I need to give some context that may inform how you receive this news. In completely related news... Intel announced a shocker that they are bowing out of the 5G modem business. They are exiting uh, fully the 5G biz and with plans to complete an assessment for the opportunities for PCs, IoT, and data center devices. They'll continue to do meet all of their 4G commitments, and they're going to also invest in 5G network infrastructure. So they're not getting out of that market necessarily, uh, much to Huawei's dismay, I'm sure. Um, they were set to launch modems in 2020. They're backing out of this market literally within hours of this patent piece announcement what, you know, how, how do you think uh, these two bits of news interacted with each other here, Tom? I'm curious. I am almost positive that Apple knew Intel was getting ready to back out of the 5G market probably this weekend, if not Monday. And mm -hmm. so what happened was, well, I mean, let's be fair. When we analyze this and, and uh, uh, Ben over at Stratechery uh, brings up a good point. When Apple is one of your customers, you don't get to be you know you don't get to slack off they've done this to intel for years with with new chipsets and things like that and they've already been threatening to go arm on the next mac so intel probably said well we can't deliver the best modem possible because if you remember around the time that the iphone 10 came out people were actually buying specific versions of that phone because it had the qualcomm modem in it because they claimed that the intel modem was inferior and now that we're going into 5g i mean the first generation of those modems is not going to be a superior technology anyway. So if Intel could not deliver a superior version of an unsuperior technology to begin with, <laughs> then Apple's probably going to be like, listen, we can't do this. And so Intel said, fine, well, if you, if you can't accept what we can give you, then we're done. We're backing out and we'll concentrate on other people that are not Apple. And then Apple turned around and went, crap. Like they probably, <laughs> Tim Cook was sitting in the boardroom and literally went, crap. So now what do we do? There's only one supplier left, Qualcomm, and they hate us right now. So what do we do? Well, they back the container ship of cash up to Qualcomm's offices and say, 
Just kidding. We're really besties now again, right? It's cool. Everything's going to be great and we're going to be fine and we're going to license those patents that we told you were crap and we didn't really care about. Yeah, that's what this is. They, the Intel's shoe dropped and Qualcomm got the reward for it. I mean, but how it's crazy to me, though. It'd be one thing if this was, I don't know, a couple of years ago and this was still you know, on the roadmap, it, it was definitely something they had staked a claim to, but Intel was talking about 5G as like an essential part of their business up until, I don't know, yesterday, two days ago, you know, um, you, you had Bob Swan talking about how, you know, you know, combined with, you know, our, our traditional strength and, you know, x86 and, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, as we're expanding into data centers, and we got our FPGAs and, you know, 5G is going to be in everything. So we, we need to be in that market too. Um, is this, I mean, one, Broadcom is sitting somewhere crying that they couldn't buy Qualcomm in the bags and bags of Apple cash that they now have lost out on. Uh, shout out to the best acquisition that never happened. Um, two, yeah, I, I mean, I, is this the, this is the bigger news for Intel, right? That they're completely getting out yeah. of this. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah the, the, the big thing for me, yeah, Apple Qualcomm settling the Hatfields and McCoys lawsuit <laughs> was big. But when you figured out why they settled it, that's bigger. And you're right. Intel has been trumpeting 5G, just like every other company has. We don't know what the future of networking is going to look like, but by God, it's going to involve 5G somehow. Except it turns out that making chipsets for mobile devices, especially ones that have a fruit logo on them, is not a path to success for you. I would not be surprised if Johnny Ive is on a plane right now back to Cupertino with a whip in one hand and a design document for a 5G modem that's made in-house in the other. And he's like, all right, folks, we're going to make this out of aluminum and it's going to be the best, most magical, resolutionary thing we've ever done. And if you don't, I'm going to fire all of you because this is the only solution for Apple. They've got to get out from underneath the Qualcomm patents. And the only way that they can do that is to do it themselves. Well, they have six years, right? You know, they, they have this mm -hmm. you're written in stone. We're going to we're going to pay you your bags and bags of cash. Um, so really interesting there. And I think Tom just dropped off. So that's OK. Um, but we're just about uh, getting to the end here uh, with the Gestalt IT rundown. So thanks for watching. Really appreciate it. The I guess my final takeaway for this whole, you know, this whole Apple Qualcomm Intel thing this also spells a lot of problems for me in their x86 business, right? We're seeing, you know, ARM on Windows has not exactly had the smoothest launch. Uh, there's been a, basically a couple of, you know, kind of test devices that haven't really caught on anywhere. But ARM processors are only going to be getting better. They're going to be now in a, coming with 5G. They're going to be coming in different form factors. Intel says they haven't explicitly said they've been getting out of uh, the, you know, the 5G PC or IoT business. But the writing's on the wall that, they're having a lot of problems with that. And if they're not able to deliver something that's competitive with what, you know, Qualcomm is going to be having Snapdragon processor, 5G modem, all of their uh, various chips in there, you know, as, as form factors change, as we become to lean more and more on 5G, not having an integrated solution like that is going to be a major problem uh, for Intel down the road. So I don't know if they're not completely exiting that market, but, uh, you know, very, very interesting on a number of aspects, not just in the mobile space, um, pretty much for everywhere. So that just about brings us to the end of the Gestalt IT Rundown. So, Tom, you're back. Uh, where can people find more of your fine work uh, if they are so inclined? 
Well, as I mentioned earlier in the show, if you want to see some of the security-related content and things that I've been writing about recently from our events, you can head over to gestaltit.com. If you want to read some more of my personal blogs, including why 802.11ax is not really a wireless switch, you can head over to networkingnerd.net. That was a really popular article for some reason. Um, And uh, you can always follow my day-to-day, hour-to-hour thoughts on uh, my Twitter handle, which is networkingnerd. Excellent. And you can find me on the Twitters at Mr. Anthropology, MR Anthropology. You can also find my writing at gestaltit.com. You can find us here every Wednesday, 1230 p.m. Eastern Time, running down the IT news of the week. Thanks so much for watching. Uh, Until the next time we meet, remember, everybody, have a super sparkly day.